You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. A while back, I was just investigating the recent DDE uh, happening, let's say, because it's not really a vulnerability, but rather it's a feature in Word, in, with, which allows attackers to automatically execute a malicious payload or to fetch a remote payment, for example. That's Bart Paris from PwC. He's a lead researcher with their cyber threat intelligence team. The research paper he's discussing today is called The Key Boys Are Back in Town. So I had written a specific YAR rule to de- detect this kind of behavior, and one of them picked this up. So one of them picked up a document, which I described in the blog post, which was named 2017 Q4 World Plan. And this is basically how I stumbled upon it and decided, hey, this looks pretty interesting. Let's check it out. And so you decide to check it out. Take us through what you discovered. First of all, obviously, I just uh, checked out the document with some static analysis tools, and also, you simply execute it, right? Obviously, always in a safe environment, so in a virtual machine or something like that, for example. And I quickly saw that, indeed, there was a simple uh, message in the Word document which stated that you should just click yes and yes for any messages, basically. So it was a bit of a, a lazy deco message, actually. Uh, and after that, the document would, fet- would fetch a remote payload, and this would be a DLL file. 
this DLL file would then be consequently executed. And at that point, you would be infected with Keyboy uh, or rather than malware, right? So until opening the document, it, nothing really happens until you click at least twice yes on any message box, right? So this is how the feature is triggered. Uh, inside one of the XML files, there will be a remote server and some PowerShell, which will simply download and uh, move and run the file. And so these pop-up windows are, are fairly innocuous. There's no indication that there'd be anything that your average user would probably just click on them. Yes, that's right. So there's nothing too weird about these message boxes. They just appear like warning messages from Word, uh, saying, for example, that the document contains any links to other files and that it needs to update them from the internet or similar. So basically, there's nothing too suspicious at first hand. But when you click through, when you click yes twice, right, because that's what's needed to trigger the, the feature, then, well, the user can get infected. And so it downloads this payload. Walk us through what's in this payload. The payload does quite a lot of different interesting things, right? So first of all, it's a DLL file, which means that normally it can't run by itself, right? So but it doesn't need any user interaction. Windows will still need to know, okay, how do I run this DLL and where do I start? So this means that DLL basically will be run by run DLL32, this is a legit part of Windows, of course, and this part says that, okay, this DLL can now run as an executable, more or less. That's, that's the logic behind it. So the DLL that was fetched from that remote server was actually a sort of installer or dropper DLL. So the funny thing is that the threat actor, so Keyboy itself, right, had some kind of humor as well. So one of the developers, I'm assuming here, had some humor, or they just wanted to track their development malware uh, and life cycles as well, because the internal name of the file was called installclients.dll, right? So <laughs> not too much imagination there. <laughs> so once this DLL was executed, it did actually quite a number of things, right? So it is a small and interesting clever technique in the sense that it replaced a legitimate Windows file and then ran it as its own. So basically, if you or someone you know is a network administrator, a system administrator, they may not immediately notice that something is wrong or that an actual legitimate DLL was replaced by a malicious DLL. So just to briefly explain the, the process of that is that first of all, the malware will decide from a list, okay, which DLL will be replaced here. And then secondly, the service that belongs to said DLL will be stopped, and then a series of commands will be run in order that Windows will not give any messages or there won't be any errors, and that DLL can safely be replaced by the malware. What additionally happens, and this particularly to uh, throw off any system admins or researchers or any incident responders, is that they will also modify a few registry keys, which basically disable Windows file protection. And this Windows file protection is set in place by Microsoft to prevent any software or maybe even users from replacing critical Windows files. We don't want any nasty blue screens. We don't want really super weird behavior. So that's why these protections are built in. But the threat actor has decided to simply disable those by setting a few registry keys. After that, the when the DLL is replaced, the service belonging to the initial DLL will be started again everything will run as before. 
however, this time, Keyboy will gladly start uh, capturing keystrokes, gathering screenshots, and so on and so forth. There's actually quite a lot of uh, capabilities in the specific malware. And as such, once this is inside your network, it can exfiltrate quite a lot of data or information. So it's quite a bad thing to uh, discover on your network if you discover it at all, of course. And, and how does it uh, connect to the command and control servers? It's not too complex, right? It's like most malware nowadays. However, I did see uh, usage of custom SSL libraries, but when I checked any network traffic, I saw that they were just using normal uh, HTTP traffic, right? So there was nothing too particular about it, in my opinion. Uh, however, there was capability for encrypting the traffic as well. So there were some SSL libraries present, but I did not see them used. Interesting. So walk us through some of the functionality that's included in Keyboy. So as I mentioned before, one of the key things about Keyboy, that's a small pun, uh, <laughs> is that it's, <laughs> it has a possibility to screen grab or take screenshots. Now, of course, a lot of malware does this nowadays simply because it's quite easy to implement in your software or malware in this case. And additionally, it's rather easy, right? You just see what's happening on the screen. For example, maybe the user is trying to enter any bank uh, credentials or any credentials in critical software, for example, or anything else uh, sensitive for that matter. The screenshot will simply be taken and be periodically uploaded to the C2 server or command and control server, right? Now, what they also do is, and again, this is not uncommon, is determine the public or one IP address, right? So I'm assuming in this case, uh, this would mean that once a potential or very interesting target or victim has been discovered by the threat actor, it means they can maybe upload additional files to the victim machine to do even more malicious behavior, exfiltrate more data, install maybe even second stage malware, for example. Hmm. So this is also in a lot of cybercrime uh, malware, right? So, for example, you know, TrickBot does this to check which banks uh, or which config to serve for specific banks in specific countries. But as you can see, more advanced threat actors do this as well, but maybe for other reasons, right? Uh, and of course, like many other types of more advanced malware, there's a lot of things. For example, it got us a lot of extended system information. So in one of the versions that I noticed, and this was a bit of an older version, is that it's uploaded all the information about the disks as well, in accordance with other information, right? So for example, how much space was free on the disk, how many, how many, what is the number of processors, what is the RAM, how long was the machine running, so the uptime, and so on and so forth. So there's quite a lot of capability, right? And one of the other interesting things is that it has a file browser, or a so-called explorer. So basically, we can just uh, relax, drink some tea, and browse your file system, and exfiltrate anything they want. So, of course, this can be compared with some kind of interactive shell. They can communicate with the victim machine. So basically, they have full control uh, of well, what you are doing and of your machine as well. So take us through what sort of uh, infrastructure is behind the scenes here making this possible. So there was quite some infrastructure. I also mapped this out in a handy Multigo graph. So this can also be found on the blog, by the way. 
Uh, they are using quite some diverse infrastructure. Uh, mostly they are dynamic DNS providers, right? So those were pretty present. They're also quite popular again today. Um, there are some other interesting ones as well. For example, we had some .video, .xyz domains, .party. So those are one of the newer TLDs, right? Um, one of the things is that uh, for a cluster, specific cluster of the malware, not all of them, uh, they appear to have used part of the domain name. Was actually, I'm assuming here, part of the campaign name as well. So, for example, uh, one of the domain names was called WebLogic seven two seven, and then the top domain, right? So it's easy to deduce that when you check this with the malware samples when they were uploaded, the virus total, for example, and when they were compiled. They do align with the campaign that would pertain to the 27th of July, right? So web web logic 727, 27th uh -huh. of July, right? A similar thing was also discovered in the web logic 1709, but instead of um, the XXUZ top level domain, they used ZZUX. So <laughs> again, some similarities there, and this likely pertains to the. Uh, campaign it was running in September. What about um, attribution? Do you have any sense for who's behind this? Right, so there's no specific saying of, of who is really behind this, but based on some indicators, I would say they are China-based. So the threat actor may likely be operating from China or they are Chinese-speaking, right? So this is proven by a few things not only by compile times, because you can't always 100% rely on that. These things can be faked and will be faked. But also from the uploads, from Vice for example, is one example, because there were quite a few uploads, actually. Additionally, there was in one of the custom SSL libraries I saw, and what I mentioned before, there was a QQ address as well. So QQ.com address is quite typical for, well, <laughs> it's very common in China, right? Mm. Additionally, there were some interesting debug messages left in the malware, and the English was not perfect. So we have seen this uh, type of English before as well. So when you do some language-based analysis, for example, you can, I wouldn't say conclude, but you can allude that they may be Chinese-speaking, right? So of origin. Uh, additionally, one of the older samples that I've also mentioned was also found by uh, Citizen Lab a few years ago, and they also reported on that, so also on Keyboy, and they also indicated or alluded that they may be China-based. What is your sense for how widespread this is, and, and any sense for who it's targeting? Well, it's more difficult to say because you don't have that much visibility, right? So, of course, unless an organization steps forward and, and says, hey, we are infected with this, can you please help us out? And of course, that's always a possibility. But uh, judging from the uploads on Total, I saw some uploads from uh, Western-based countries. However, there's no real indication. And of course, for privacy reasons, you can't really divulge, okay, this was organization X or Y. So in terms of targeting, I would say they have shifted the focus a bit more on Western-based companies, but specifically like industry or sector, for example, I can't really say. I don't really know. And would a typical antivirus installation be able to detect this? That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, again, I'm not 100% sure, right? I mean, if you're using a 
more advanced package, then I would assume it would detect any suspicious behavior like replacing a legitimate system DLL, for example. But again, I do not remember how well the detections were in the beginning. But if I recall, it wasn't really spectacular. Mm. So here it's very important that you do enable all the logging because, for example, when you enable uh, event fuel logs, then you would be able to see that, hey, <laughs> this legitimate DLL got replaced by something totally different. It doesn't seem normal, right? And one indication of that is that there are really small spelling mistakes when you replace DLLs. So that could be another pointer. And the file size was a bit different. But again, I advise people, regardless of using antivirus or not, enable the logging where you can, not only PowerShell, but also specifically in this case, uh, event fuel logging, right? So one layer is not enough. I wouldn't say that antivirus is not sufficient, but I wouldn't recommend to have it as an only layer. You need a full layer, right? Even if you would be infected with a specific malware, you may be able to tell something from your eventual logs or from your EDR if you have it, for example, so, or from your network logs. If you have the capability, then I would recommend please implement it. Please check the logs whenever you can and set your alerts as well. When I published research on the PwC blog, there was an interesting decline, or actually, let's say, disappearance for a few days. Hmm. <laughs> and a few days later, they were active again. So I'm assuming they read the blog post as well, or they got wind and they decided to lay low for a bit, but not for too long, apparently. So interesting. It's just interesting. Yeah, it does tend to happen like when there's research published, whether it's big research or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, bad guys read, read blocks as well, right? They do follow security researchers, and they know that when something gets published, they're often quite fast to uh, enhance their malware, or they low for a while, or develop new tools. So they burn all the instances, and they just get into a new path, has been seen before. Our thanks to Bart Perez from PwC for joining us. The research paper is called The Key Boys Are Back in Town. You can find it on the PwC website. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, 
Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.